Well, you are in for a really big treat today. My really good friends, we've been friends for a lot of years now, Doug and Beth Gaiman. Uh, Doug and Beth have been married 44 years. Is that right? I know, that's pretty remarkable, especially since they were only about eight when they got married and, uh, and all. But they've been married 44 years. Uh, they're uh, parents. They are grandparents. How many grandkids? Eleven grandkids. Come on now. And so they are uh, just remarkable people. They have been missionaries out on the mission field. They serve at Globe International. Doug is the president of Globe International. And I have in my hand a brand new book. Doug's written several books. This is his latest. It's published in Moody Publishing. It's not actually out yet, but we have some copies if you want to buy one. They're in the foyer, and they're available. It's called Before You Quit, Everyday Endurance, Moral Courage, and the Quest for Purpose. Who would like a copy of this? Come and get it. Whoever wants it, it's right here. Thank you. There you go. I've got a copy. <laughs> you, can, you can read my copy. So if you would, please give a warm welcome for Doug and Beth Gaiman. Okay, well, Robert kind of stole my first line already. We do have um, 11 grandkids. Uh, we had four kids and... Three of the four were born while we were serving overseas in missions. Anything? Oh, a disclaimer. We are broken people. We're not perfect. Our marriage is far from perfect. We probably have had more loud discussions in the last few weeks since we knew we were going to be doing this. <laughs> so I hate to do this, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you got to get your own stuff taken care of. So anyway, that's sort of what today is about, sort of how we can um, take care of some of our stuff and, and what God's word has to say for us in directions for that. Yeah, so uh, we're going to talk and argue a little bit and try not to embarrass ourselves. Can you move that closer <laughs> or because I can't read, I can't read my Robert, Robert wanted me to just briefly give an, a second plug for the new book. Um, I don't, it's not about marriage. But I do talk about marriage in there. In fact, the epilogue in the book uh, deals with the idea of what Ben Sassy and I'll speak to this at the end of this little talk this morning. He talks about a thick community. And uh, perseverance through difficult times uh, and not quitting is a whole lot easier when you have people supporting you. We are just not wired to do life alone. And even though our culture um, is really s sending a message about individualism, hyper-individualism, you know, you can do it yourself, you can go against the tide, and no matter what anybody says, be, your, be, the, be the person you're supposed to be. And some of that has, there's a, there's a positive vein to that, but there's also a real lie behind that. Um, you can't do things, a lot of things you cannot do yourself. And uh, one of the things that God, from the very beginning, designed marriage to be would be a support system for us. And we're going to talk about that. So uh, anyway, if the book helps you, grab a copy this morning. We'll, I'll be out there if you want me to sign one. I'd love to do that. I'd be honored to do that. But we're delighted to be at Coast Community Church. Um, uh, Robert and Vicki have been close friends for a long time. I was 
Are you, have you guys, when did, what was your anniversary? Is it 20 years or 25? It was 20, right, recently for this church. 21, yeah, so last year you celebrated the 21st, 20th year. Oh, 21st last year, okay. Well, anyway, there was a 20th anniversary somewhere in the recent distance in the past. <laughs> so I was thinking, we've only been in Pensacola 25 and a half years. I think we were here when this church was planted. But uh, we're delighted to be here again with you this morning. And uh, so let's just dive in. We're going to uh, read from a couple of scriptures that should be on your, um, on, on the, behind us. Uh, so Ephesians 5, we're going to read a couple verses from the Apostle Paul. So Beth, go ahead. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We'll break that down a little more later. And then... Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you can look behind you if you want to. It's well, back they there. Got, they got them up there. Let's all turn our chairs around and look <laughs> to the back. <clears throat> Paul continues in verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Well, you're not kidding about that. <laughs> and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's interesting to me in these verses, um, he uses the word submit to, to the woman, to the wife, actually uses it three times in those two verses, in the three verses. Submit to your own husbands as just as the church submits to Christ, so the wife should submit in everything. And then he continues with the men, and he uses a different word. He, he says, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, I don't know if there's a whole lot of difference in those two words when you think, really think about it, because Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for us. What did he submit to? I mean, he submitted to death on our behalf. He laid everything down. So Paul uses different words, but really we're, we're both husband and wife are respecting is one word he uses, submitting is another word, and also loving each other. He gives a little bit more responsibility to the husband if you think about it because he talks about us loving our wife like we would love our own flesh nourishing our own flesh, cherishing our own flesh, taking care of ourselves. And you know us guys, you know, we like to take care of ourselves and, and stay fit and all that good stuff or have our, have our hobbies and do what we like to do to make us happy and keep us happy. And, and Paul's basically saying the same way you like to do all that stuff, do that for your wife. 
let, let her choose her own hobbies <laughs> and what makes her happy. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's profound that Paul says this mystery is profound. And of course, he's referring in part to the mystery of, of Christ giving himself up for us. But I, I think it's also related to marriage because we've been married almost 44 years and it's still a mystery. <laughs> We're going to talk about that this morning. Trying to figure her out, you know, and she could point the finger toward me, and uh, we are just still figuring that out. <coughs> oh, where are we going? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Likewise, in First Peter three seven, likewise, husbands live with your wife in an understanding way. Yeah, this no. is a, this is a great scripture. It's actually the English Standard Version. There's several different versions that render it slightly differently. Uh, the English Standard Version says it like Beth read it. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. And I I think that live with your spouse. It really applies to women too. Live with your spouse in an understanding way. In other words, seek seek to understand your spouse. You know. Um, we, we, let's, let's not kid ourselves, guys. You know, we all get this. You know, when you're dating that girl and you're trying to catch her, you're doing everything possible to make her become convinced that you get her. You know, you understand her. You're attentive to her. You agree with her. <laughs> yeah, you don't ever, you know, not, you never disagree or argue with her. You're trying to show her, I understand you. You know, I want to understand you. Help me understand Something switches when you get married. It's like I finally got got her now. <laughs> and I think wives, you know, maybe Beth could speak to that. But this idea of an ongoing habit of seeking to understand your spouse and understand where they're coming from is vital to a good, solid marriage. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was leaning heavy on the cartoons, which you can't see. So... <laughs> Yeah, we had some really great cartoons. So Too maybe bad, the, folks. Maybe the tech. Oh, there we go. Yay. <laughs> so what does it say? He was protesting tougher immigration legislation. His sign said, say no to borders. Her sign says, say no to borders. But she was protesting a bookstore chain. And neither told the other the truth, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> Until he went to the bookstore. <laughs> I think there's another cartoon, too. Here we go. We're looking for something to fix our marriage. I'm in Barnes and Nobles. He's at Home Depot. <laughs> so if you've been married for any length of time, you, you really understand how different men and women are. Uh, I, uh, an author named John Gray, who's a psychologist, I don't know that he's a Christian. He might be. I don't know that detail. But he wrote a book a few years ago that became an international bestseller. It's called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. If you've been married at all for very long, and you know your wife is from another planet. It's like... The right planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's another no, not one. Really. And there's, there's English coming out of her mouth, but it doesn't mean anything like what I think it should mean. And when I say something, she, her answer is like, where did that come from? You know, what are you talking about? For example, I'll say to Doug sometime, can we talk? 
and I'll answer, what do you want to talk about? You know, sort of suspiciously. That's not really what I meant. I meant I'd like to spend some time with you where you focus on me and hear the words that I'm saying. Yes. In other words, her appeal is to spend time with me. So can we talk is code, guys. Okay, I'm giving you a little, I'm giving you a, I'm giving you a deciphering little tool here, okay? When your wife says, can we talk? This is code, okay? For I want to spend time with you. So don't answer it like I did, the doofus husband. I've learned now, even though my mind is saying, can we talk? I, I mean, my mind is saying, what do you want to talk about, you know? On, on my, what comes out of my mouth is, sure, honey, let's spend some time together. <laughs> so when Doug says to me, I need to talk to you, I immediately think in my head, even if I don't say it out loud, is what did I do wrong? See, I happen to work for him, too. <laughs> so we do this over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <coughs> we had one cartoon. I didn't put it on the, on the PowerPoint for you, but... Um, so the, the wife says to the husband, she says, honey, why don't we turn off the TV and just talk? This is what the husband hears. This is what she said. She says to him, why don't we just turn off the TV and talk? And the husband hears, honey, why don't you put your head in a vice and I'll turn the handle until your head explodes. <laughs> I have never done that. <laughs> <laughs> so where are we? So she says, I need to talk to you. And she, she thinks, yeah, I say that. And she thinks, what did I do wrong? So I want to talk, we want to talk about three, three realities of marriage this morning. Three realities. The first one is marriage is a challenge. So it's going to be a little alliteration here. Three C's. Marriage is a challenge. Um, there, there's two difficulties in marriage that we all come to terms with if you've been married for any length of time. The first one is our flesh or our human inclinations. We all have human inclinations which are primarily selfish. It's, you know, it's about me. It's what I need and what I want. In fact, I got married because I had needs. You know, I, want, I needed a wife in my life. So we approach things with a, with a sense of need, and so we marry for that reason, to be fulfilled and to have a, a, a partner and, you know, to have sexual fulfillment and all these reasons we get married. And then you have this other difficulty in marriage that's you know, common to this culture, to, the, to most Western cultures, and that is this powerful influence of, that I alluded to at the beginning of our time together today where there is this high individualism and making life about me and also... Uh, today in the fight for what the secular world talks about gender equality and that even though we agree with this idea in terms of value and worth all people are equal in terms of equality there's some challenges to, to that and, <coughs> excuse me um, not only that but in our culture there's this big move to <coughs> put men down I mean there's a lot of cartoons and we all laugh about our our husbands and our wives, but there's been a real move in our culture to um, to put men down. And um, the thing about that is that um, it's really not scriptural. It takes away, men are very um, 
deflated, I guess. You know, they, I don't think that they're comfortable anymore taking their role of uh, headship in our home. And when that happens, then a lot of times um, the women will step into that as the leader in the home and, and then get kicked out of whack and you're, you're not happy in your marriage. And it just is not the way God ordained for marriages to be. Kathy Keller, um, it's Tim Keller's wife in their book, The Meaning of Marriage, <coughs> addresses it as both, I'm going to read this, um, both women and men get to play the Jesus role in marriage. And it talks about Jesus in his sacrificial authority. He's equal with God, but he didn't put himself that way when he came to earth. He came as the sacrificial submissive. He submitted to God, and that he went to the cross and died for us. And that's the way that, you know, God sees us as a woman, that we submit to our husband, and it's not because we're inferior. It's not because Doug is smarter than me. He probably does have a higher IQ, but I won't say that to him. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm, when the Bible, there's a verse that says about the, the weaker, the woman being the weaker, it's not that I can't do things myself. I can do a lot of things. I've done a lot of things myself. Um, Doug's had a traveling ministry. Um, we both traveled, and then he traveled, and I was at home with kids and I did a lot of things myself that if he was there I probably would have said please go bury this pet dog of ours that just died but I didn't I was out there with a pickaxe and seven months pregnant and something around that you know digging a hole in the hard clay to bury our pet while he was gone so it's not that we're weaker and we're <coughs> when the Bible talks about us When the Bible talks about us being um, a helper, a helper for him that's suitable, it's not that we're like his personal assistant. It's like he's going to war, and he could not win that war if I was not his reinforcement. That's good. And and so it's not a demeaning women thing at all and I think a lot of our response as women we we um, there's been abuse of this there's been cultural hurdles in this there's a whole woman's lib movement um, that that happened as a response to being abused but it's not submission to your husband is not an abusive thing if there's if it's dangerous to you then it's an abusive situation, and that's not what we're talking to submit yourself to. Kathy, Kathy Keller says in this, uh, in this little portion of the book, she says, by accepting our gender, gender roles and operating within them, we are able to demonstrate to the world concepts that are so counterintuitive as to be completely unintelligent unless they are lived out by men and women in Christian marriages. <clears throat> and for me, that means we have this, the opportunity as Christians to find a new way to live where the husband really loves his wife and honors her and serves her and gives his life to her 
and the wife submits to her husband in trust, knowing she's safe with him and he's trustworthy. And we have an opportunity to live that. And that's Paul makes that allegory of that your, your marriage should look the same way as your relationship with Jesus Christ. He loves you that much. He, did, he lives for you. He died for you that much. This is the way your marriage should be, be reflecting. So overcoming, overcoming the selfish inclinations of our flesh and overcoming these dysfunctional influences of culture are the challenges that all of us face in our, in our marriages. The second thing we face is the, the reality of marriage is that marriage is a covenant. It's a found, the foundation of our commitment, the Beth of my commitment, the foundation is the fact that we made a covenant. We made a promise on our wedding day that basically said, till death do us part. And it was not only a covenant between Doug and I, but it was a covenant before God. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is originating, this originates with creation. Uh, the creation story in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 deals with marriage. It's amazing that in the creation, the very beginning of time, the very beginning of all that we know, God created heaven and earth, and in that time, he also created mankind, male and female, he created in that time. And immediately, he created the institution of marriage, and the foundations for the institution of marriage were created at creation, even before the fall into sin. And Jesus, all the way up through the New Testament, all the writers, Jesus himself, refer back to this creative moment about the institution of marriage. And one of the neat things about it, you know, in in the creation story of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, everything is good. You remember that? If you read the story, it says he looked on what he had done. It was good. He looked on what he had done every day. It was good. And he looked on all that he had created. It was very good. You know, there was one thing in creation that was not good. The Bible says there was one thing in creation that was not good. It was not good for man to be alone. The very beginning, God created mankind to be in community. And almost ins- there's almost an insinuation there that the community that God had in the Godhead of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is a mystery to us to understand how that is, three in one, the community, such a tight community of trust and of love and of existence, there's, a, there's this reflection that this is the picture that marriage is meant to be, that two become one flesh. And so here in creation, it's, it's, it's shared, it's, it's seen. <clears throat> so God created in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created him, male and female, he created them. And God created woman out of man, calling the woman a suitable helper, this helper, this, this, as Beth said, not an assistant, but this complementary. And this is a word that's really important, I think, understanding the difference between the equality of gender, of, of the genders, male and female, are equal in terms of worth, in terms of value, in terms of standing with God, and in terms of standing with other human beings. There is no superior and inferior. All all people, male and female, are of equal worth and value, but they are distinct in terms of roles and what theologians call complementary in their roles. So we, we're complementary in our appearance. She's compli- we're complementary. We're complementary. <laughs> That's not what you meant. 
Yeah, she has hair, I don't. But we're complimenting her in our bodies, you know, that's one of the things I like about her, you know. <laughs> I mean, come on, we're, we're attracted to the woman. The woman is attracted to the man for complimentary reasons, you know. This is very real for us in terms of the physical realities that we live with. It's true emotionally, we're complimentary. And when we were talking about this, I said, uh, you know, and Beth said, well, spiritually too. And I said, I had a little tough time seeing that one, you know. And I asked her, what do you mean? What do you mean complimentary spiritually? I know physically we're complimentary, you know. Yeah. You know, and, and I know emotionally we're complimentary. I'm very aware of that after 44 years of marriage, how Beth and I relate to a, a, the, same, the same circumstance we relate to differently on an emotional level, the way she perceives it and the way I perceive it. And we've learned how not to now, well, we're learning how not to disagree over that. I told you about that. the weeks. <laughs> we're learning how not to disagree over that together, uh, but to un honor one another and listen to one another. But then she said spiritually, and I said, well, we'll get the physical part. Well, what about the spiritual? And so she kind of unpacked that for me. <clears throat> and I don't remember exactly what I said at that time. Are you going to? Oh, you wrote that down? I wrote it down, yeah. <laughs> Because we talked about it like on Thursday, and then we rehearsed it on Saturday. So I have no idea what I said. So I said I kind of shoot from the hip a lot, you know, and so I don't remember my words. And Doug, it's like he has a he has a memory. Well, I'll I'll crazy. I'll, so I'll, I'll bait you, and then you can fill in the blanks. So you better just say it all. I think on the <laughs> I think on the spiritual side, and this is not always true of every marriage. So I think there's some latitude here for this. But typically, the man kind of gets the vision. He gets the big idea of what we're supposed to do as a couple. He kind of drives the, he's in the driver's seat, and he gets this idea. And then the woman fills in the gaps with the details. She's thinking through how does this affect our home, how does this affect our kids. And, and this is not always true. There's in sort of blending of the roles, but I think in many ways, the way we spiritually complement each other is by these two. And I know for myself in the past when I was younger and less mature, you know, I, I thought more highly of myself than I should have. You know, none of us think I'm immature. We, we just, I'm, anybody in here would admit that I'm immature, huh? <laughs> Show of hands, please. <laughs> you know, it's like. One honest person back there. Yeah, once we're, once we're immature and we become aware of it, that's the first step, step towards maturity, isn't it? We can become aware of, man, I got a lot to learn. I'm pretty stupid here. Uh, and I had to learn that in our marriage. And when we went through difficult times, you know, it was either going to be continue down the road of difficulty and stubbornness and locking into our own positions and end up probably with divorce or beginning to listen to each other and saying in the stubbornness, okay, I probably have something here to learn. I don't like it. I think she's wrong, but I better start listening because this isn't going in the right direction. That takes a huge amount of humility and, and uh, a willingness to be corrected. So we worked on that very hard in our marriage. And God worked on very hard on us. And that's the thing. A lot of it is that comes to, I think you said it in a song about um, total surrender to God. Where I can't change him and he can't change me. He's, he's tried. <laughs> doesn't work. It has to be a total surrender to God because change comes from the inside out. We can, we can set our mind to it and we can purpose and we can give that to the Lord and, and ask God to, to grow us up in those areas. Help me not to say things with the tone of voice that I use. Help me to um, not react so 
when he says something that I don't like. Not that I do that, but I see there's others out here, you know. Um, so these are things, but it comes from ability is not ours, but the ability of Christ to change us. One of the, one of the, the areas in an emotional complementary uh, roles that men and women have is what I call two A's, attraction and attentiveness. Um, a man typically puts attractiveness in relating to the spouse, relating to a woman, a man puts attractiveness first. We look for how good looking a woman is. That's the first thing we go to. And then, then if we find them attractive, then we are, if the relationship's going to last longer, we want them to be attentive to us as well. A woman inverts, inverts that. She is more attracted to an attentive man and less concerned about his attractiveness. So if you just tuck that one away and recognize that, that goes on after you're married. You know, that continues after you're married. And both, both of us are, are learning, after 40, we're still learning this, that Beth is more concerned that I'm attentive to her than I look great. And I tend to be more concerned. doesn't mean I don't want Beth to be attentive to me. I do. But I, I tend to put a higher value on her looking good. That's just the way God wired us. I don't think that's an indication of sinfulness. Now, it's terribly used. It's terribly degraded. It's terribly undermined by sin. And people become super selfish and oppose that in the wrong way. He's, but I just, think he's just lucky that I naturally am a beauty. And, you know, so I don't have to work and worry about that. <laughs> Moving on now. <laughs> yes, you are, sweetie. <laughs> Let's talk about function. Okay, so we talked about uh, the, the covenant of marriage. So one was the foundation. It started with Genesis. The second is this form, this suitable helper, the idea that we're equal and complementary. Let's deal finally with function, the marriage ceremony. Um, that we all understand the marriage ceremony, and today, in today's world, when we get married, uh, there is a contract that happens. We, we like to call it a covenant, but it actually is a contract if you think about it. Um, the, the more important biblical idea is a covenant. It's not just contracts are sort of adversarial. Covenants are, are looking at each other rather than looking at this is mine, that's yours, and how are we going to share it? But if there's ever a divorce involved, it get becomes contractual, doesn't it? So, uh, today we we basically get a piece of paper out, and we fill in the blanks, and then we sign our names to it. This is the way we formalize the contract. Do you know in the Old Testament, uh, in the early days of the, of the scriptures, they had a different way of formalizing a contract? Um, it, it, didn't ha it, it didn't have to do with signatures with ink on pen. It had to do with blood. Uh, you know, the covenant, the new covenant was sealed in blood the blood of Jesus Christ. The old covenant had to do with blood. I mean, it was, it was uh, something you would remember, okay? So there's this place in Genesis chapter 15 where God is reinforcing the covenant that he made with Abraham. And he tells Abraham, Abraham reinforces, he reinforces his covenant that I'm going to bless you and make your name great and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. And so Abraham has this sense of destiny and at one point, he makes this covenant between him and God by, by killing some animals, some big animals, uh, some goats, small, medium-sized, and a couple of doves. And he cut them up into pieces, and he laid them out in the ground. 
and then he walked between those pieces. And the way the covenant worked is this basically the sense of responsibility that if I, if I break the covenant, may my life look like these dead animals. May there be blood on me. That's how strong the covenant was reinforced in the Old Testament. And the neat thing about this for us, and we think about how do we multiply that idea, but the neat thing about it is this is a picture of Christ. He walked between the pieces. He, he was the pieces. He became the sacrifice, not for his own bro brokenness and his own failure to keep the covenant, but for ours. It's an amazing thing. And it would be helpful to us in marriage covenants as we enter into marriage today to understand what we're entering into, to take that more seriously. I've heard people say, well, marriage just keeps working. I'm like, oh, no, you're not understanding it. This goes back to the time of creation. This is the covenant you're making between you and another person and before God. And it would be good for us to remember that. I think one, another thing um, on the lighter side <laughs> our weddings we have a wedding ceremony you know we we love the the white balance and um there's some cultures like japanese culture they have their own ceremony they do for the family and for religion and then they like to have an american ceremony too because they love this beautiful white gowns that everyone gets to wear and they even have it in english and you don't really they don't un really understand all that but can you imagine, you know, we saw in our cartoons, here we are in our white gown and we walk between dead animals getting blood on our white gowns. I mean, that sounds funny, but it's the seriousness of the covenant. And so that's, um, that's why it's important. I don't know if there's any single people here or not, but, you know, you need to think through this before you rush into marrying somebody. You know, when you get married, it's, it's for life. A lot of couples I know that have, you know, said we just covenant with each other that divorce is not going to be an option. Now, I know there are reasons for divorce and all that, but I'm, I'm talking about when you get married, you know, you have a decision to make. And you, you just need to be sure that, you know, you're making a decision and a choice with your eyes open. Let's talk about, we've got to wrap up here in a few minutes. Let's talk about a few things you can do to live in with your spouse in an understanding way. So one of those things is to learn your spouse's love language. Gary Chapman wrote a really good book called The Five Love Languages. Have, how many people have ever read that book here? Okay, great. Um, go back and grab the copy off your bookshelf and read it again. Uh, if I would ask you and pigeonhole you, I'm not going to do it, but would, do you know your spouse's love language? Do you know what... You know, guys, you know what makes your wife get warm and fuzzy inside. You know, what is that thing? Now, I've, I have to constantly remind myself what Beth's love language her is. She likes acts of service. She loves me to do things for her. That's what makes her happy. When I go out and fix something in the house or go out and do something for her and move something from one place to the other that she wants moved, this is big for her. And uh, she'll, I'm just... That's not my love language, but she, it's hers, so I have to actually speak another language than my own and to, to communicate to her heart. 
Yes. Is that what my love language is? <laughs> oh, if I don't have that page. <laughs> this really is um, words of affirmation. And that's, that isn't a natural thing for me because I, I feel like Doug is such a confident person. It's like, what do you need affirming about? You know, you're, you're confident. You got it. But, but that's what he really needs. And so I have to work at giving him those words of affirmation. <laughs> so becoming aware of what your spouse's love language is is a powerful thing. It's a very good tool. Another, another thing it's good to do is to is the habit of speaking, but also to communi communication. Um, I think, you know, if you're a guy, guys are less communicative than women are typically. This is not always the case. But to learn how to communicate with your spouse, to spend time, uh, the policies, a couple of communication tools. One is radical honesty, this idea of communicating your thoughts, your feelings, your likes, your dislikes, your daily activities, your plans for the future. Just have this time every day where you're communicating a little bit. And guys do not, most guys, now it's not the case for every guy, but most guys struggle a little bit with communicating their thoughts and feelings. We, we tend to live inside. It's like two guys going golfing, you know, for four hours, and they come back, and the wife said, what did you guys talk about? Nothing. <laughs> you know, it's not possible on this planet for two women to spend four hours together and not talk about every possible feeling in the human race, you know. <laughs> but two guys will play golf all day long, and their lives may be falling apart, and they don't talk about it at all, you know, just nothing. Uh, so learning how to do that for the sake of your marriage is an important little uh, thing to learn. Uh, the policy of joint agreement. You want to you want to talk about that one? No? <laughs> okay, just briefly wrapping up here. Joint agreement. The policy of joint agreement. That is, we agree as a, as a couple, we will never require the other person to do something they don't want to do. In other words, making selfish demands on them. So we agree that anything that we will do, that the other person, anything we do together whether it's in an intimate setting or as a recreational activity or a vacation or a decision, that if the other person doesn't give enthusiastic agreement to participate, then we agree to not force the issue, okay? Or not make it into something like, well, if you love me, you'll do this, you know? That's a mm -hmm. selfish demand. And Willard Harley in his book, Love Busters, lists selfish demands as one of six different ways you're really breaking the marriage. Um, that's a great book if you're struggling in this area uh, to read. It's called Love Busters by Willard Harley um, and learning how to not do that. Well, wrapping up, marriage has powerful consequences. So the three big things, the three realities was challenges, covenants, a covenant, and consequences. So just wrapping up today, um, marriage can be a both a painful experience or a wonderfully joyful experience, depending on how we treat each other. And, and if I might interject something, marriage, there was a survey I read the results of, and I don't remember who did it or when, but it was just recent years, a couple years ago. Um, they trailed marriages. They had so many marriages and they trailed and when the marriages that said the question was simple are you in a happy marriage or unhappy marriage so the ones that said happy marriage you know later they 
they went back and filed them, you know, and they're, you know, I don't remember the results on that one. The ones that said they were unhappy, years later, the ones that were still married were happy. And the ones that decided to give up when they were unhappy um, were divorced at that time. So marriage is not always happy. I mean, we've had, you know, we had years of unhappy. We, we almost got a divorce. It was that bad. And, and we said we would never do that. So marriage is an up and down thing. You know, you might have a good morning and a bad evening or, you know, go for years and it's all good. And then, and then you hit challenges. So it's, you know, it's, it's good not to quit, which leads us into. Well, Billy Graham used to say, <laughs> or was it Ruth Graham, used to say, we never thought about divorce, it but was we Ruth. did think about murder. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we haven't got that far yet. So here's, here's a wrap-up scene. The Senator Ben Sasse, uh, U.S. Senator, he, he wrote a book called um, uh, Why We Hate Each Other. And he says in this book, and this is not dealing with marriages, it's dealing with communities and in politics, he's, he's dealing with a bigger thing. But one of the things he says is this, he says, loneliness is killing us. Among, among other things in his book, he cites the skyrocketing rates of suicide and drug overdose deaths in America. In 2016, three years, four years ago, 45,000 Americans took their lives. Two years earlier, uh, nearly 65,000 died from drug overdoses. We live in one of the most prosperous nations in the world, the proverbial land of opportunity, but we fail again and again to find happiness. Sassy worries that too many don't have what he describes as a thick community where people know and look out for one another and are in invested in enduring relationships. This is the problem with individualism today. It, it feeds a deep, deep, deep dysfunction of loneliness makes people lonely, and marriage is God's answer to this. It's not good for us to be alone. And God has designed us to be together. A Christian apologist, Ravi Zacharias, says that the most, the, the point of relevance of our time is that the postmodern generation of our day is hungry for love. And that's I can tell you, after having been married, the primary place where we get our needs met in love is in marriage. The place where I get 90% of my needs met for love is in my wife and in my children and grandchildren. We have so many friends. We have a lot of friends, and we love, dearly love our friends, but there is nothing, nothing like the love that we have in our it's just amazing. It's just different. It's, it's God designed. And so that's what I got, think is God's promise for us in marriage if we can make it work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just come to you, Lord, as broken people. Uh, Beth and I recognize that the, re the only reason we're still married today is because of your grace. Many times it would have been easier to quit. It felt like it was easier. And yet I thank you, Lord, for the covenant of marriage where we made a promise and we were determined to keep it. And I just pray, Lord, for each person in this room this morning. Some are married and struggling. Some have been divorced and are still getting over the, the pain and the woundedness of that experience. Pray for young people, Lord, that are thinking about getting married and 
in one, ha- one way excited and looking forward to this joyful experience that, that they not yet had, and yet maybe a little fearful because of what they might have seen in other family members or friends. And Lord, I pray for us all, Lord, that you would restore to us the joy of the connectedness between people that marriage represents. This wholesome, holy thing that you created at, at the very beginning, Lord, between a man and a woman that creates a family and creates a community that can reflect the love of Jesus Christ in its most practical of ways. Help us, Lord, I pray. Help us to hold on to this wonderful ideal that yet it's not an it's not an unattainable one. We can actually discover it, we can find it, we can experience it. We do as we are faithful to your purposes and your plans. So thank you for that, Lord, today. We just commit ourselves this morning to it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Pastor Robert. So what I want to do is just staying in an attitude of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me one more time? Maybe you're here today and you would look at your life and you would say, Robert, in in my marriage, I'm struggling. Maybe you're going through a tough spot. Vicki and I have been there. Uh, Doug and Beth have been there. Sometimes it's, it's hard. Sometimes you're going through and you're having to find those ways to work through those moments. Maybe you're here and you say, Robert, we could sure use some prayer this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. This is between you, me, and God. But in this moment, if you would say, Robert, would you pray for us? We've got some struggles in our marriage, and we need some help. Would you pray? Can I just see your hands? Just hold them up real high. Just be real honest. This is your moment. We're trusting God in this moment. We're believing that God's going to get us through this. Oh, great. Put your hands down. I want to say thank you so much for your honesty. I just believe that, you know, when God puts a couple together, it's part of a vision that he has for us. He makes us one, and then he gives us the ways to achieve that. And so God is here in this moment ready to work and ready to touch, ready to come into the, the, the holiness of your marriage, to begin to touch you and work in your life, to help you work through those differences, to help you work through those, those tough moments, those insecurities, those struggles. God wants you to have victory in your marriage. So, Father, for every person that raised their hand today, I just want to pray, Father, for your special touch upon them. Father, in those areas where there's struggle, I pray that you would bring reconciliation and restoration into those relationships. Father, in those moments where there's hurt or pain, Father, maybe one or the other has done some things that that they shouldn't have done, and they're struggling to find that place of healing. Lord, it's found in you. The healing is found in you. And maybe you're here today, and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart. You've never asked him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life, to make a marriage work, to make life work. You've got to have a Savior. Lord knows we can get into a lot of trouble on our own. But Jesus comes in and he brings healing and wholeness to our life. His deep love for us is there to interact in every section of your life. Whether you're struggling in your marriage, whether you're struggling in your job, whether you're struggling with your kids or relationships, whether you're struggling with a a, a habit, an addiction, 
whether you're dealing with pain from your past, God is there to bring healing to those moments. So I pray for every one of us today, Lord, that in this moment we would find hope, that we would find that knowledge that you love us deeply. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God wants you to have the amazing life. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and experience it to the full. I believe prophetically that God wants to bring new life into your marriages. I believe that God wants to bring new life into your life. He wants to bring joy into your life. He wants to bring a, a sense of purpose to your life that maybe you haven't been experiencing. So if you're here today and you say, Robert, I've never asked Jesus into my heart. I've never asked him to be the Lord of my life. Would you pray for me? I'd like to see your hand just to be here wherever you are. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I want to ask you to pray a prayer with me just right where you are. I want you to say, dear Jesus, I come before you in this moment and I lay down my life at your feet. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Heal me in my broken places. Bring me into your presence. Fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And as much as I know how, I'm going to follow you for all the days of my life. And I'm going to trust you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God a hand? Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you just to do me a favor. There's a little blue card that's in the seat in front of you. If you would fill that out, you can just leave it uh, at the back at the at the soundboard you can leave that with them or at the welcome desk and we would love to know that we've got a special gift for you it's called now what it's just a little booklet that we'd love to put in your hands today so here's my prayer for you this week is that god would begin to work in your marriage in a brand new way if you're not married if you're single that god would begin to place that seed for what god is going to do in your life at some point and father we just thank you for touching these marriages in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. amen. Next week, next week's going to be very, very special. It's Super Bowl Sunday, so that means nachos. Come on. We got nachos as you come in. That'll be fun. You can wear your team jerseys. I'm going to be uh, talking about Israel. I'm going to be talking about my Israel trip, uh, sharing some pictures. It was a phenomenal experience. I can't even begin to tell you. How, God, how many of you know I'm just itching to preach? And it just, it really touched me. And uh, we're very lucky. I'm going to have also with me, and I'm going to interview during that service, Victor Sturski. Victor Sturski is the East Coast uh, Director for Christians United for Israel. They're the people that we actually went on the trip with. And he's going to be uh, sharing some things, too. We're going to talk about the trip itself and just what God did. There were some special moments that... And I, I don't think I'll ever be the same because of it. And so I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you. And then we'll be starting a new series in uh, two weeks. Don't forget to sign up for small groups. And also the freedom groups. If you've not been through a freedom group, let me just tell you, it is absolutely life-changing.
It's one of the best things we've done since we've been a church. And I just want to say to you, if you've not been a part of a freedom group, just sign up. There's two. There's one that's in the morning. There's one that's going to be in the evening. Pam, yours is in the evening. It's what night? Thursday night. And so I just really, really encourage you to be a part of that. You go through the freedom group. There's a book that you're working through together as a group. At the end, you do a freedom conference. And anybody that's been to the freedom conference will tell you it is absolutely life-changing. And I had been in ministry for a lot of years and went through it myself. And, man, God did so much in my life. So I really want to encourage you uh, to, to sign up if you haven't been through that. So there's a bunch of groups. You can see them on the table. Be sure and sign up. Uh, I want to let you know about something coming up. And there's a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Station. Uh, men's Night Out. Where are my men at? There you guys are. Uh, we're going to the Ice Flyers game Friday, February 7th. Game's $20 each. There's a lot of freebies that you get. It's also Celebrate Faith Night. And then we're going out and getting barbecue. I was in Israel. They don't have barbecue. So uh, I'm really looking forward to, to getting some barbecue. And so faith fights and food, man. That's what that's going to be. And so we're looking forward to that. And then just a reminder that Doug's book is in the foyer. Hey, I want to pray one more prayer. Blessing over you. Would you raise your hands? Father, I pray a blessing over every person that's here. I pray, Father, that you would be with them today in all that they do, that you would pour your spirit out upon them, that you would give them wisdom. Father, that you would give them favor in the eyes of people that they come in contact with. Lord, that your anointing would rest upon them in a powerful way, and that you would give them divine opportunities to tell other people the story of what you've done in their life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, God bless you guys. Have a great, great week.